My name is Bailey Tao and I am the Donut Princess of LA. I own DK's Donuts and Bakery in Santa Monica, California. We've been able to attract, you know, locals and beautify our community as well as attract tourists to become a very foodie hotspot here. We are located at 16th and Santa Monica, which is a prime location here. In five years, I think that DK's will still be a booming institution of where people can come and enjoy a good donut and really have happiness in a box. What I'm looking forward to the most in DK's future is just new and exciting projects. I think it'd be really cool to have a donut festival here, a cool bounce house, uh, filled with donut themes and just really have things that are really exciting for the community and to really bring the community back together and, you know, unite over their love of donuts. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Chile Talk Podcast. I am your host, Hella Chile. And today we have the Donut Princess. She's the owner of DK's Donuts. She was also featured in the Donut King documentary. I'm really excited to chat with her and, um, hear her stories. Without further ado, here's Maylee. How are you, Maylee? I'm doing really good. How about you? I'm great. Thank you so much for uh, taking your time at your day, your busy schedule to talk to me. Yeah. I mean, I, last night I worked till like 3 a.m. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I was training a new worker uh, for the graveyard shift. So um, I'm still a little sleepy, but I'm happy to be here. I, I've been seeing what you've been doing for the Cambodian community. So I, I'm really honored to be here. I appreciate you. And um, I wanted to get to know your story because um, I did watch the Donut King documentary. And it was really interesting learning about your great uncle, Ted, and it just like the way it was shot, the, the whole history about how most Cambodians got here. And um, just um, I was interested throughout the whole documentary. And I like how they added like each and every family member's, uh, you know, clips and like their, their story and just um, the feedback and experiences and stuff like that. I thought it was really dope. I like how the colors, the, the just everything about it was uh was amazing, and um I believe it it, was, it just aired on uh, PBS yesterday in in LA or just like nation, nationwide. It actually, it, so today's May twenty fourth. It airs tonight at ten p.m. and um it I think it you can stream it on the app for like the rest of the month. So wow. definitely check it out. And yeah, thank you so much for your feedback. Like for example, like the colors, the the illustrator of the uh, Donut King poster is Andrew Hem, who actually is Cambodian as well, who also grew up in a donut shop. Oh, wow. And, you know, the the film has like so many cool parts to it. Um, most of the people in the film are parts of my family. And it even opens up with Daywon Song, who's a really famous skateboarder. He's like an OG skateboarder. Um, there's so many different elements and layers to it. So yeah, if you guys haven't seen it yet, definitely check it out. It's an awesome film about just like this immigrant hustle and the story of how Cambodians got here and, you know, were able to give them this opportunity to make it in America. Oh, yeah, definitely highly recommend you guys go watch it. Um, it's also on Amazon Prime, too. So if you guys missed it on TV, you could uh, check it out on Amazon Prime. All right, Maylee. So what was it like growing up in like L.A.? You're born and raised there? Yeah, so I was actually born in O.C., but raised in L.A. And... My childhood, I think, is very similar to a lot of other, you know, immigrant kids, uh, first generation when they were born here. So, you know, your parents are usually always working. In fact, my grandma ended up raising me um, just because my mom and my dad, they put in like 10 to 12 hours a day working their multiple businesses. I grew up in a very traditional family. So my background is Diju or Chu Chow and Cambodian and Thai. So, you know, at home, we spoke Diju. We ate, you know, noodles and rice for breakfast. Um, I was raised in such a strict type of way because I was the youngest and I was a girl. Um, and, you know, in old traditional times, they're really sheltering the girl. You can't go out, you know, you can't do this. Um, so, you know, I kicked it with my grandma for most of my childhood. And, you know, growing up, I was like one of the only Asians at my school, like, in elementary, middle school, and high school is the only Asian girl. So people definitely teased me on the type of foods I ate, on just how I looked. And like, they made fun of me because I would like participate and be smart. And, you know, that bullying, it kind of like 
really made me into this really shy person. Like I was very like quiet and, you know, also being Asian American, it's like, they never wanted me to stick out. They wanted me to kind of just be like with the crowd and just assimilate. And, you know, since the age of six, I was helping my parents uh, at the shop, you know, stand on a little milk crate, you know, get up on there and like give change, go to Costco with my dad, like right in the back of the orange car, you know. I feel that my dad, he really taught me a lot of things like, to, to teach me how to do things to help him. So like, I remember like when I was eight, he was already having me write checks, like help, helping him pay the bills um, and like sealing them in the envelope, mailing them out and, you know, teaching me about that. We would play this game called Gimme where it's like giving change. He's like, all right, if I have $5 and I give you 20, how much do I get back? So I think that was purely training for the donut shop. Um, on the weekends, I would help my parents again at the shop and, you know, just being there and and helping them and always having a bunch of customers come up and be like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you're, you're growing so much, you're growing so much. And then like later on, when I went to college, I still was helping my parents. I would drive back. Um, I went to school at UCSD. So I would come back and help my parents as well. And yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really have this identity to be proud to be Asian just because I had so many signs to push me to like want to be white or want to be Hispanic or just want to be anything but Asian. And um, it was only until I went to college where like, first of all, UCSD has hella Asians. So it was like, oh my God, it was like a culture shock. I never even met anybody who was Cambodian or did you let, you know, and even if I met somebody who was Chinese, they would be like, oh, do you speak Mandarin or Cantonese? And I'm like, no, nah, like <laughs> neither. And they're like, oh, you're not Chinese then. So it's like, <laughs> there was always this like kind of identity crisis of like, who am I? Who do I want to be? Even in mainstream media, you know, like growing up, we didn't have cable, but I would watch TV. It's just like, you know, white people, there's no like Asian representation. So, um, you know, as I got older and started to really step into my career and step into my identity, I was like, I'm like an Asian American role model, you know, like I want to be that for people because that wasn't around when I was little. Wow. You certainly are a role model. And, um, so you're like the young, you're the youngest of how many siblings? So I was the youngest. So it was my brother and I, he's like a few years older than me. And then my parents were actually arranged, which I know is not a surprise to people in our culture. Um, for those of you who don't know, arranged marriage is like your parents go that guy or they go <laughs> that girl and then you get married. Um, and it was actually my great uncle Ted, who was the matchmaker for my dad and my mom. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, my mom, she was, she actually had leased a store from Ted's, um, sister and Ted's sister was telling the family like, oh, there's this really cute girl. She's really hardworking. And she's like, you know, of a good, like family name, which is like, you know, back then it's like all about honor and respect yeah. and stuff. Um, and then, you know, my uncle Ted and my, my grandma told my, her her son, which is, you know, my dad was like, all right, you go with Ted, go. And then they asked for their, her hand in marriage after 10 minutes. And then they were married like a week later. So, I mean, so crazy, but they ended up getting a divorce. And so basically my mom, she remarried. She had my little sister, Michelle, who is now 11. And then my dad, he has a few kids in Southeast Asia. Um, so I have like two uh, half siblings in Thailand and two half siblings in Cambodia. Wow. So yeah, I'm no longer the baby anymore, <laughs> but I always still feel like the baby. Yeah. I'm the youngest too. Of uh, I have two older brothers and uh, three older sisters. Wow! Yeah, so like a true Cambodian family, like yeah, six plus. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel like uh, you were like uh, spoiled? I felt like my parents. Well, having sisters, like I, I noticed that like my parents were really strict to them. They allowed me to kind of do whatever, like as far as sports and stuff. So it's like really traditional, like they're not allowed to have friends <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, they were really strict with me. Uh, in contrast, they were not strict with my brother. And in terms of spoiling, like I definitely feel like they did try to spoil me with like food and just like, you know, like giving me everything like that was necessary. But like, 
everything after like I turned 16, like it was like, I worked for that. You know, I worked to get my first car. I paid my first insurance. I paid my gas. You know, there are a lot of things that I kind of just splurged on myself um, just because I didn't want, never wanted to ask my parents for money. But even growing up, like if I need to go to, you know, to school, and I, they didn't pack my lunch. They would give me money to like go buy food. So in that regards, I feel like I'm super lucky. And yeah, like I could say I was a little spoiled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you you started working at six, right? Six years old. Did yeah. you enjoy doing it, or or you just like something that you just had to do? It was just something that I had to do, and I like I I remember at times I hated it. You know, like any other mm-hmm. kid. You know, you're like, why me? Like, why do I have to go help at the store? Why do I have to work? And it's just kind of a normal process. I really think that it teaches you discipline. You know, it teaches you like there are some invaluable lessons that I learned since I was a young girl at the shop. You know, you might treat it as like, okay, yeah, you're just helping out a morning shift, but there are so many lessons that I learned there. And it really helped to activate me to be a little bit more outspoken. I learned how to sell. I learned how to like build relationships. Um, I learned, I mean, hospitality, customer service, um, and just like, letting my creativity kind of run. So yeah, I would say that it's it's definitely a benefit to, you might hate it at first, but later on you can learn to love it. Awesome. And, and, like, and at what age did you uh, learn to like enjoy doing it? I really think it was only until after I came back from college when I was given a little bit more power and authority where I was like, just going in there and making changes or adding products or, you know, creating our social media community. That's, that's kind of when I started to love it because I could do the things that it made me happy to build. You know, I could, I could be this, I could really exercise this entrepreneur type of mindset and just like create and build. And that's, I think what really, really fueled me to love the the family business when I came back. <clears throat> awesome. And uh, I remember watching the documentary. Uh, you, you mentioned like, uh, well, I don't want to give it too much, but I remember it said uh, it wasn't like your dream to work for the donor shop. Did you have a dream? Um, what, what did you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. So, okay. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure if you have like, you know, really strict Asian parents, like you can resonate with the story. So I remember I was in fifth grade and my dad was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I want to be a social worker. And he's like, no, 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 we're not doing that. Like, you're not going to be a social worker. I was like, oh, I was like a writer. He's like, no, no, no. Like, he's like social workers and writers, they don't make a lot of money. Um, You know, they don't have good benefits. Just, you know, don't do those things. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, okay. And I kind of was just like kind of a loss, like until middle school, high school. And when I went to college, my mom's like, you should be a news reporter. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah. And and at this point, I was like, you know what? Why not? So I studied communications at UCSD for four years. And on the fourth year, I interned for a news station under a reporter named Candace Nguyen. And I remember being in the back of the truck. I remember like reporting. And I just remember like not enjoying it. You know, I would notice these intricacies about mainstream media that I just wasn't about. Like, for example, it was all about ratings. So the types of stories that we covered were solely based on if you could tune in or not. You know, it's like, what about these other human interest stories? You know, I wanted to report on those types of stories. Um, Let alone that, like, it's like a whole life dedication if you're a reporter. And I just felt like if I was going to dedicate my life to something, it couldn't be this. I guess those were my, like, quote unquote dreams. Like, I had the dream. My dad crushed it. I had my get followed my mom's dream, then that kind of got crushed. And then, you know, I came back to the store and kind of just like did the things that I love to do, which again, it's like building relationships. Um, you know, I love food, like I'm such a foodie. So I definitely exercise that on my platform and just like discovering my voice. I think that was like a really big thing. And luckily I had DKs to kind of fall back on and, you know, really enhance the business to the next level. DKs, uh, does it stand for anything? 
So I get this question all the time and people think that it stands for Donut King. That was my but guess. It actually, <laughs> yeah. So DK's Donuts used to be a chain back in the 80s. And the owner actually sold the uh, franchise to each individual family who wanted to buy it. So for example, at that time, there was like hella Cambodians coming over because of the Khmer Rouge and the war. So my parents bought uh, DK Stones, which stands for David and Kathy. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. David and Kathy. Wow. I know. I know I'm, I'm, totally doesn't, like, didn't fit with the whole theme. But, you know, my parents they didn't speak English. They didn't even go, you know, they like were not educated. They just saw the, the DK as like a lucky name. So, you know, they stuck with DKs. And now there's other DKs in different, there's some in Orange County, there's some elsewhere. And we always get this confusion, like even to this day, like people p- placing orders and they're like, oh, you're not in Virginia? And I'm like, no, we're in Santa Monica. And they're like, oh, okay, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's what DK stands for. David and Kathy. I learned something new. Even Kathy, they're like a, actually like a little white family. Oh, wow. What were like some of the challenges, some of the challenges you face like going up and just like, or just working out at a family owned business? The challenges growing up like with a family business. Well, obviously there's like the language barrier, right? So, you know, we're, we're hiring people who might not speak English that well, whether that be Chinese, Cambodian, Hispanic, you know? And so, there's like this culture of like American customer service that they might not understand and they might not how to know how to express. So I'm constantly trying to teach them like just little basic things, right? Like just say hello and just like, you know, don't say like, what do you want? You know, like they're like, but like, I get it because in our languages, it's just kind of straight to the point, right? It's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's not what would you like. It's like, you know, it, it's just like. Bottom, we not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it's so direct right. and like so intense <laughs> that even the tonality is is hard to teach them of like just to be this like. So I think that's where I really developed like this overcompensating, like really like nice, friendly demeanor to offset maybe this like language barrier that, you know, customers might run into. And we are in Santa Monica. I mean, these are like. Really, really like people who are expecting that kind of service. So that's definitely been a hurdle. Um, you know, convincing my mom to implement certain things. Like when I started to create this Instagram for us, she was like, no, what are you doing? Stop taking pictures. Like, well, I don't understand. And even like adding the half croissant, half donut, which definitely put us on the map and like an an other assortment of things like the letter donuts, um, the, you know, all the different creations that I've done. Um, she's just been like, so against it, but then she'll see like it actually works. And she's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, being uh, like kind of like the youngest and a female, like you're working in like a Cambodian like kind of uh, team. They're not going to take you seriously. You're like a little like, I was like 23, like running shit back then, you know? And so it, it just, it was just hard to command like their respect just because I was just the youngest and a female. If you're listening out there and you're a small business owner, like you eat shit every day, you know, (laughs) there's just like something that happens. Somebody doesn't show up for work. They're out of this. This customer's unhappy. Like there's just so many moving parts to being a small business owner that, you know, I see on my end and I'm just here and I just, you know, one at a time, things are just done one at a time. Um, But yeah, I mean, challenges growing up and just being in the store is just like, I, I, at the, at the core of it, I just wanted my parents to be happy. And, you know, I, that's why I kind of just, I was so just did what they did. Just did what they told me to do. Like, you need me to be there at 6am. I'll be there. Just like, just like last night, you need me to be there at 10pm. Like I'll be there at 10pm till 3am, you know, like I'll do that. Um, I'm willing to do it. And it's just because I just have so much respect for what my parents did for me and their whole journey on how they got here too. It's just like, it's intense, you know, like anybody who survived the Khmer Rouge, like who, is still alive today and is, you know, thriving. It's just, 
it's just pretty incredible to me because if you understood what happened in the Khmer Rouge, like people were meant to die. Like there are millions of people who died and not, were not so lucky to make it out alive. When did you uh, get the nickname, uh, the donut princess? So I couldn't become LA's donut princess without telling you a little bit about my parents' story. So my parents' story really starts in Cambodia. They were actually in the Khmer Rouge, which is a huge genocide that happened in Cambodia. They were granted to come here to America in search of no other than the American dream. So luckily, my great uncle Ted, he actually is known as the Donut King, he actually opened up hundreds of donut shops for Cambodian refugees before they came over here in the 70s and 80s. So they were able to kind of establish this, this craft, which is donut making. It kind of was like a self-proclaimed title, but knowing that my uncle was the Donut King, and, you know, rightfully so. It was more of an ode to him and kind of like a unique type of personality and identity that I wanted to cling to. I didn't want to be the donut queen just yet, just because it like, kind of dates me older. But I was the donut princess, you know, like when you hear those two words together, it's just like it's like a little bit of like royalty, but a little bit of sweetness and like any kind of experience that I can provide for uh, being the donor princess. That's kind of where that title came from. It's just like a fun, cool title um, that, you know, comes with duties. And, you know, I feel like I really live those those types of that title because, um, you know, being the donut princess, obviously, you're doing things around donuts and, you know, making ha people happy through donuts. But I think on a community level, like, I want to be there for my community in the sense of, like, we're, we're every day we drop off donuts, day-old donuts to the homeless. And, you know, on top of that, we are we donate all the time, like, to our community. Um, anytime they're, like, in need of, of donuts, like, we donate to the Veterans Hospital. Um, we've donated to different smaller organizations like Salvation Army. Um, during the pandemic, we actually fed over 5,000 healthcare professionals and were able to boost morale during the pandemic. So, you know, community is really important to me. And, you know, again, being the donut princess, that's kind of like my title. And I love it because, you know, since I was a little girl, I wanted to be a social worker. I want to make the world a little bit better place. But now I'm just doing it a different way through donuts. Wow. Community. You guys, you guys do so much for the community. I'm so happy to hear that. And um, who doesn't love donuts? <laughs> I've I met some people who don't like donuts. They're like, I don't like donuts. I'm like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your favorite donut of all time? I'm like, what's your uh, favorite? I mean, that's so hard. Like, everybody's always like, what's your favorite? But I think I have a top five. Okay. So the half croissant, half donut which has our classic glaze on top. That is truly my favorite. Um, and I also love air frying them. So I throw them in the air fryer for a little bit. It's really, really good. Um, the buttermilk bars, when they come out hot, they're super delicious. They're like kind of crispy on the outside, but doughy on the inside. The blueberry cake donut, it's classic. Um, tastes like a blueberry muffin. It's just like, oh my God, so good. The ube donut, which I created in 2013. Um, not too sweet. Got this really good consistency. Um, and it's a Southeast Asian flavor. And for the fifth one, I like the Samoa Girl Scout cookie donut just because I love like toasted coconut. Very similar to like Cambodian desserts. Right. Like that's that really like coconutty, like flaky type of consistency. And it also has our homemade caramel and chocolate drizzle. So wow. that's my top five. <laughs> that's a that's a great top. That's a great lineup right there. Um I'm I'm basic, so I like the maple bar, so my favorite. And I remember visiting you guys for the first time in like 2014. My friend Mo mm -hmm. took me over there to uh, DKs, and um, that's when I heard about you. So um, I think I went over to go visit and support my business at the time, and um, I found out that you know it was my own. And um, I think I got the bacon maple bar, and it was it was really good. <laughs> 
Hell yeah. yeah. I also like to heat that up for like a little 20 seconds. And our bacon that we put on top is like really crispy. We're crispy and thick. I'm like, wow. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's a thick cut, you know? You can't skimp out on that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's that sweet and savory type of combination. That was like the craziest donut we had um, at first, like in 2012. Like it was like, oh my God, bacon on a donut. <laughs> and then it kind of exploded into a lot of other things. Yeah, now you guys do like it. Advanced donuts, right? Like, uh, what are some of like the your uh, like your best sellers right now? Yeah, so um, we just came out with a cheesecake, strawberry cheesecake mm. donut, which is like so fire. Um, our double dipped Swiss chocolate old fashioned donut is also such a big seller. We have this new uh, nutty caramel. uh, nutty caramel cinnamon roll which is like everybody's favorite cinnamon roll with like this like thick like that homemade caramel with some walnuts and uh, cranberries on top um you know our classic glaze and sprinkles those ones go by like so quick you know people love those a lot and then finally um yeah, people like people also love the classics. Like people come in and get, you know, our Boston cream donut or like our glazed twist, you know. Like at the end of the day, you're always gonna have the experiential eaters and you're gonna have the classic eaters. And you know, all of it's really popular <laughs> at our store. Wow. And I uh, do you come up with all these new flavors? Like what inspired you to like the this the to make new uh different types of donuts? Um, yeah, I, I come up with it or my team or my mom, you know, we just kind of see or visualize, right? Like what do people want to see? What do people like? And we kind of like go into our little donut lab and we just like figure it out and try it. Um, we just experiment all the time with like different textures and toppings and icings. And, you know, when you have that family recipe, that like classic, like, already solid family recipe and you just add things on top of it like it's gonna be good no matter what <laughs> wow talk about like the cambodian donut boom i i, I believe like watching the documentary he said there's something like i don't know like i forgot the number but it's like 1600 or 3000 cambodian donuts so, across the nation or I something think, like that. yeah so i think total <clears throat> um i'm actually gonna be featured in this book and it's actually around 2,400 total donut shops. But um, so taking you back into history. So, you know, you got all these refugees coming over to America. They're being sponsored by host families. And, you know, they might have their whole family with them. They might just be them too. And, you know, Uncle Ted, he played such a big role in creating these opportunities for people. And he mostly just focused on Cambodian Americans because he himself had been um, sponsored over here. And he recognized that, yo, to make it in America, you can't really just work like for someone, one job. You got to do like three jobs. So why not just like be your own boss, you know? And he fell in love with the concept of the donut. He saw that I was doing a lot of business even at nighttime. And he, you know, grinded and and learned how to do that business model and taught each different Cambodian person. So I think there was a huge Cambodian donut shop boom because number one, again, you have these refugees coming over who don't speak English. You can't take a blue collar job. And even then, if you were a dentist or a doctor in Cambodia, your credentials don't matter in, in, in America anymore. Um, the second thing is like, even though it's hard work, it was definitely something that you could achieve, you know, with that limited knowledge and with that limited education. And, you know, Ted made it really easy for people to kind of follow this model because, you know, he came up with a leasing program. He just knew how to like implement people into places they need to be. And I don't know if that's because, you know, he worked as, you know, a general in the army or whatever it may be, but he definitely understood that there was a need for a workforce and there, you know, donut shops were a great point of entry for, for Cambodians. So, I mean, I think he's changed a lot of people's lives just from being the pioneer of, you know, opening donut shops around here and um, across the nation. You have a podcast as well, right? Yeah. Tell us about your podcast and where can we yeah, tune in? Yeah, so 
<laughs> so my so it's really funny because um my friends were actually the ones who were like, you need your own podcast, you need your own podcast. I'm like, no, 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 I don't need my own podcast. Like I remember having dinner conversations with friends. And one night we're at my best friend's birthday and we're t- literally at the bar taking shots. And like my friends like, when are you gonna start your podcast? And I was like, you know what? You guys want me to start a podcast? I'll start a, I'll start a podcast. Like what do you, obviously, as long as you guys hold me accountable, I'll do it. And, um, it really started kind of out of the pandemic when I had time and, um, you know, I just started off with one episode and it started to build. I have like over 40 episodes now, which I feel like is a big number just because wow. I'm like, who's going to listen, who's going to listen to this? You know, like, is anybody listening? <laughs> I always talk about that in podcasts. Um, and at first, you know, I was super nervous because, you know, it's like finally like a platform and a channel that I am in full control of, you know, so used to, and the news stations, right. It's like, okay, this is what the company wants. This is what the people want, you know, but what does Melee want to talk about? And I got, I get to share, you know, tips and tricks. My, my themes are small business, women empowerment, amplifying Asian American voices and mindset, which is all the things that I love to talk to people about or that make me who I am. And yeah, I've had some awesome guests, you know, networked with a bunch of like really, really cool people. Um, and they've gotten to share with me. And I think one of the highlights of my podcast that I love asking is the golden nuggets, right? What are five golden nuggets that apply to you that you can share that literally can apply to any industry, which is like what I want people to really get is like, you can learn something from anyone. It doesn't matter what industry they're in, how old they are, what the color of their skin is. It's their shared experience and what they're willing to share with others on productivity or mindset or business. And we could all use something like that, you know? And what I meant for it to be was just short little episodes where, you know, I'm imagining you're like driving in your car, you're getting on the subway, you just want something quick to listen to and something where you can, you know, step out of your own perspective for just like, you know, 30 minutes and then step into someone else's perspective and see how, how they built that or how they went through that. Um, and so it's been really, really rewarding and really awesome to, to have a podcast and also very liberating, you know, like during the BLM movement, you know, my mom, um, I think like a lot of other Cambodian moms out there, she's like pretty racist, you know, like, but I get it because she dealt with a lot of pain and trauma from, you know, from black people, right? Like she was being robbed at gunpoint. She's being tied up, like people were stealing and they ended up being, you know, African-American. So I kind of get that part where she's like, she really, even like as a kid, I couldn't watch BET. Like my, my grandma would be like, why are you watching that? Change the channel kind of thing. So it's like this deeply rooted, like, stereotypes that kind of were tried to, they tried to teach that to me at a young age. And it was only until the BLM movement, I was like, let's do some research here. You know, let's, let's really take a look back. And it really brings just so much light of like, wow, they never taught this to us in school. The, the story was so skewed again, just like, you know, when I talk about trying to be a news reporter, things are skewed to benefit one group over the other. And when I also think about the BLM movement, I think, dang, like they fought for a lot of our rights as Asian Americans that we get to benefit from where they have to do the hard work. So it's like, I have a lot of respect for the BLM movement. In fact, when we were um, doing, when there's protests in LA, I brought donuts to hand out to the volunteers, you know, like it was just, it was also a platform, you know, have an episode about it where I get to express myself and not feel wrong or bad about it and, and just come from a place of like understanding. Um, and yeah, like, I think that's another benefit of the podcast is just like, I get people also who like, listen from like all over the world. And they're just like, I love this episode about this. And, um, it's not really like my main focus, obviously, because I'm doing like a hundred other things, but, um, it's really, it's a part that I really enjoy. Yeah, definitely. So if you guys want to check it out, it's called short and sweet, a donut princess podcast. It is on Spotify, Stitcher and Apple 
Apple Podcasts. So take a look and take a listen. And I'm just grateful if anybody's listening to it, honestly. <laughs> no, I think you have a great personality. You're you're well spoken and definitely want to I'm going to tune in and check out your podcast. And I totally like going going back to what you said, um like most like a lot of Cambodian parents are, are racist. Like I, I I experienced that growing up too. Like they didn't want me to like like the same thing watching like rap videos or like you know change the channel. I'm like damn. So it was like I think like when you mentioned like the BLM stuff. Um, the, like I tried to explain to my mom more recently like what was going on when the when George Floyd got killed. So I was trying to explain to her. So she's like really understanding now. Like you know like I'm talking like we're humans. You know like it's not right. You know, even yeah. you're not even you're not supposed to kill you're not even supposed to kill a criminal, you know? Yeah. So I think she's yeah. a lot more understanding now than she was back then. So I really uh happy about about that. I told her we'd be the same, so it's like those conversations are really hard to have at home because you think about this is like years even before, you know, we could express ourselves to our parents, you know, and also you being the youngest, you're like, you don't know, you know. So like, yeah, like having those conversations at home are the hardest conversations to have, but really necessary. But before you even have those conversations, you need to go and do your own research and understand. But you know, our parents, it wasn't any ill intent, but it was more so of like protection. And when you come from a, a, a country of war and also there's like racism in Cambodia too. Like you're light skin, you're dark skin, you're Chinese, you're not Chinese. Like there's levels to that as well. So, you know, you're, you're taking all of these old traditional beliefs and values and you're bringing them to America and applying them. And plus, you know, Cambodian people also love to gossip. So like they're going to like, they're going to refer to people and identify them, you know, based on the color of their skin, but they don't know who they actually are. So I, you know, I, I commend you. I'm I'm glad you had that chat with your, you know, your mom and, and just like, you know, that it's a hard conversation to have, but it is so necessary to, to do with, especially our older generation. Thank you. Also, I read that you guys, um, your family built a temple in Cambodia. Take us on that journey. How was that? Yeah. So my mom has always been this role model for me um, in terms of giving back to the community. So like even as a young girl, she would go to Cambodia and she would donate like tons of rice and give every kid a backpack and a book and a pencil and also um i think it's that bat like in the in the temple like giving to monks and like just really contributing to the ecosystem and economy there um and i remember in like 2016 she was telling me because she's built a few temples before but she was building this giant temple and she just didn't have you know she couldn't complete it. She really wanted to say, it's my dream to complete this, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I go, mom, whatever you need, let's do it together. Like, here's what you need. Tell me what you need. I got you. So for the next, you know, few years, we, we started building, um, the, the temple is, has the ancient Bayon heads. That's like, so like kind of, we call it kind of like a little Angkor, but it's called Punam Sa and it's in Kempot, which is five hours South of Phnom Penh. And, you know, we were able to complete it um, in 2018. So we had this big ceremony, like we had like 800 monks come. We had um, like we had the old people, you know, dressed in white. We gave them all like new clothes and, and money. And we had, you know, just the prime minister's son come out, Hun Manette, and his whole like squad. There's a huge procession. And it was just a great day just to see my mom's dream come true of like having this temple be built and having it just be this place that she's always dreamed of like creating and making. And I think it's pretty incredible, you know, like just having a role model like that in my life who we're pretty religious. So um, just seeing her dreams come true like that and knowing that I could contribute to her, that was amazing. Also like 
pretty much did the whole Cambodian dress up thing, you know, with the sash and like little silk thing. It was a little uncomfortable, but, you know, looked really good. <laughs> so, you know, it, it felt like a really, it was a really awesome experience. And if you guys are ever in Kempot, please check it out. It's called Phnom Saw. Wow. That's like the ultimate give back. It's like a whole temple. Wow. <laughs> yeah. How'd that make you feel yeah. to, to help your mom's dream come true? Man, I mean, it was like, it, it was just so rewarding and fulfilling. You know, my mom, again, like has given me everything that she has, even to this day, you know, she, she'd rather go work instead of me. And I'm like, please just put me in, you know, I am fine. Um, but she is so sacrificing. She's done so much for me. And I just wanted to do something for her, do something for the Buddha, do something for the Cambodian people, you know, like I still want to go back to Cambodia and do something as well. Like, you know, help with their education system. I don't know what that looks like yet, but that's definitely like a, a dream of mine because I think, I think about how lucky I am to be born here. And I'm like, dang, like what makes me different from those kids who were born in that village? You know, let's say that the war didn't happen. I would be like one of those kids running around naked, like without clothes, you know, like in the small village with the toilets in the ground and like, you know, just a different type of lifestyle. Mm. But I was given this, like given all of this, like the tools, the opportunity, and I'm just forever grateful. And to, to do that temple for her, like it was just like a once in a lifetime experience. And um, just to see her, like see the temple and like, you know, it was just, it was just a, an incredible experience. Wow. Yeah. Like I think about it all the time. Like I was born in the refugee, refugee camp, the Kawadang. Mm. So I was think I was thought about like what what like my life would have been like if I if I grew up in Cambodia. Yeah, It'd be very different, very different. I mean, Cambodia is a a country that is still run very differently, very. You know, like you you could die by saying some shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's like no freedom of and, speech. Yeah. No. Yeah, and like for example, like I wanted to go back and. I, I went back this this November. We we recorded with Vice. Vice bought the international rights to distribute the Donut King. Mm-hmm. And I my cousin was there. And like it's cool because he speaks English and Cambodian. So he's like my translator pretty much. And um he's like, I want you to meet some people. And I was just telling him about what I wanted to do. So he introduced me to one of these like Cambodian princes. And I like sat down. I was like, all right what do I need to do to improve the education system here? And he's like, look, like most of it will probably need to be privately funded. I'm saying that because if you want to do something with like Cambodia's like money or whatever, you're going to have to say it's sponsored by a certain type of party. And I'm like, oh, okay. So it's very, still very political. Like you still have to like play around with these little political moves and you know you don't you don't really know like as much as like I want to go back and help the country there it's I kind of feel not too safe just because you're not still sure like what people believe in that's like old school even though my intentions might be like yes I want to help you don't really know like okay they want to take credit for it or if you don't say the right thing you know they might come after you so there's still a lot of that and also like my mom you know her one of the things I think she passed down to me of generational trauma is just like your belongings like she's always like hold your purse really tight you know like even when you're riding on the tuk-tuks you know like don't like put it on your lap hold it hold it tight you know because you know stealing and stuff that's still a very big part you know there's still things like that that happen in that country also you've been getting a lot of like press like oh like you're just popping up every day on my timeline <laughs> how's it feel that it'd be like i think you were on like klt los angeles new channel and uh ktla ktla yeah and um, more recently, the the interview by Eddie Wong that was sponsored by Toyota. What, mm-hmm. what was that like? Like, what was like? How's it all been? How, how have you been like processing everything? Has it been like? I see you. You just always on your grind too on your story. So you're always doing something. So like, how how do you like uh, juggle all the things? Yeah, no, that's a great question, and I think. 
I mean, ever since I stepped into DKs, like we've been on the news, like at least once or twice in a year, we've been featured on countless things like USA Today, Infatuation, like local news channels, Food Network, you know, so I've kind of stepped into being like the face of my company, which I love. And I love being able to show people what my parents brought here and all the delicious donuts that we have. Um, but more so um, last year, you know, with the pandemic happening, it really gave me a chance to focus again on my own voice. Yes, I might be the donut princess, but I am way more than just somebody who sells donuts. This is like way more than that. Now it's like my whole story is to be that person, again, that role model for Asian Americans to show them like, yo, you could do this too. Like, like, I want to be that face that, you know, they're like, oh yeah, like Melee could do it. I could do it. Cause I'm Asian too, you know, um, to be that inspiration for people. Um, but with the whole, um, being on KTLA thing, um, re more recently, um, they featured us, uh, because the donut King is launching on PBS and it was just like, so surreal to kind of see just like my family members on TV, you know, and I'm like, my face on TV again. And, you know, it, it's an important segment with which says Asian American visionaries, which is such an honor, you know, and I just want to speak on behalf of, you know, our Cambodian Americans, did you Americans, Asian Americans, you know, like even amidst all the anti-Asian hate crime, it's like, we are still up to really good things. Can we focus a minute on on the good things? You know, like can we can we celebrate these moments? Can we be there for our community in that way? And like that stuff is like it's really awesome and and the recognition is really great. And then with Toyota, you know, um, during the pandemic too, you know, it wasn't busy at the shop. Like we lost almost all of our corporate accounts. So I myself had to change my lifestyle to survive. You know, I was like, okay, like this is what it's like when you like you know don't make any money. Okay, cool. Like I got to like figure this out. So I started to look into, you know, doing these like brand deals with, you know, other messages that I really resonate with. You know, I think like being that face for, for people, you got to believe in the product that you're selling or you got to believe in the thing that you're promoting. And, um, you know, Toyota reached out and they, you know, I requested the RAV4 because like, that's a dope car. And, I test drove it and it was great. And they wanted to highlight the things that I've been doing for the community. So, you know, um, and then they told me Eddie Huang was going to interview me. Little do people know Eddie Huang was supposed to interview me uh, three years ago um, on his segment on Vice, but he ended up canceling last minute, even though I had flown back from India just for this interview. Oh, wow. So anyways, I brought that up to him later. We, we, we're good now. But, you know, in many ways, Eddie Wong is also promoting, you know, and amplifying Asian American voices. And he just came out with his movie called Boogie. Um, and, you know, he, he consistently uses his platform to address issues. And, you know, having him interview me was an absolute honor as well. And we talked about some really deep issues and some really powerful stories. And I got to share that with him. And the whole experience was, you know, it's the interview. We did a cooking scene with my mom. Um, we, we made, um, you know, the green mango with the fried fish. Oh, the mango salad. And we made, yeah. I love that. My favorite. That, yeah. The ong choy um, stir fry. And then we made salama chu. And, you know, those are just like those that same kind of comfort foods that, you know, we share. Um, and then they followed me when I donated 500 meals to the Alhambra Hospital. So, you know, the whole experience was really remarkable and really incredible. And having all this press on me is just like, I'm ready for it. You know, like this is, this is our moment. I'm just not doing it for me. I'm like, this is like a, what I want Asian Americans to be represented like for history. So like, I, I mean, it's just, it's just a really big honor and I'm so grateful. Like when people comment and like support, like you always comment support, like I feel that, you know, like I send out these hearts, like I really feel that. And I really appreciate just people like following my journey and supporting it. Because again, to be successful, it's also about the environment that you surround yourself with. Well, I totally agree. And um, you make us all proud, you know, like you're a great role model. 
I really appreciate you, everything that you and your family do for the community. Like, I believe in, like, karma, you know, like, tuck button, bin, bin button, you know, like. Yeah. This is very important to give back any way you can. And hopefully it inspires other people to do the same if they can do it. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, like, it's, it's like, I'm pretty Buddhist too, right? And like, we all believe in karma. We believe like, this is not your only life. Like, you're going to move on to this next life. But I think that, you know, my mom would always talk about this. We're like, I'm like, oh, I think I feel like I did a lot of good things in my last life. You know, let's keep this going. <laughs> and, you know, karma, you're right. It's like, this this cycle it's like just keep focusing on the good keep doing good do good for yourself do good for others and good things will come your way you know you have to like want it and have intention to do it though you have a heart to do it and it doesn't have to be big you don't have to build a temple but you know you can think about get creative you know you don't have to break the bank but maybe you can you know volunteer your time volunteer your ideas show your support on social media i mean there's so many different ways now that you can you know play a part in your community and give back it's really important in the whole cycle of life <laughs> i agree and uh what 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 advice would you give to like future entrepreneurs yeah, I mean, for future entrepreneurs, I would say you just got to figure out who you are, you know, figure out who you are and whoever you are, you got to run with that. And, you know, yes, the, it's all about the grind, but, you know, there's always ways to work smarter. There's always ways to, you know, get creative. I mean, you we have Google, you know what I mean? Like we didn't grow up with Google. Like we, <laughs> we had dial up. We didn't even have computers and shit at that time, yeah, but yeah. you know, do your research and, you know, go towards something your heart is like really about, you know, go towards something that you really believe in because that's going to drive your success. And, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to a mentor or somebody out there who's already done it before, because why do you want to le learn the lessons the hard way? You know, they already learned the lessons the hard way. Just take their advice. So, you know, reach out to a mentor or, or a coach or somebody if you're really lost. Um, but, you know, you just got to trust and and work and improve on your habits every day. Um, I have been re like listening to a lot of audiobooks and they've been really great. Um, so, yeah, just constantly work on yourself and don't forget to take breaks too. Like your mental health is really, really important. Um, I look at back at how my parents worked like 10, 12, 14 hours. And sometimes I put in that work, you know, because it's needed, but like, you know, you got to take some time to also recover or else you're going to burn out. Thank you so much for sharing your story and just having a great conversation with me. And um, are there any last words or shout outs you want to give? Um, I just want to shout out you for being this like super great part of our community, like showing people like Cambodians can be really funny and sharing our culture. And thank you so much. Um, definitely want to give a shout out if you guys um, want to follow my journey on social media. You know, it's at Mailey Tao, at DK's Donuts, at Donut Princess LA. I just started a luxury and economy car rental business called donut exotics oh, wow. so if you guys could check that out that would be great and yeah i mean if you guys need anything you guys know where to reach me and i am so 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 thankful for the support you got my full support and um all your infos on the screen and um go make sure you guys go check out the donut king documentary too when you get the chance really good and oh and i'll see you at the top maylee Hey guys, what's up? We out here. This is Maylee Tao, your donut princess, and you're listening to Hella Choi's podcast. <laughs> <laughs>